Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Things have changed in the past week a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, we've gone from recommendations to avoid others to executive orders to avoid others. And let me say that as Christians, we're to obey the government authorities, as Paul declares in Romans 13. The only two exceptions to that would be if the government orders you to sin or if the government prevents you from doing good that God commands of you. And in this case, neither of those two exceptions are present. So we're to do what the governing authorities tell us to do. And we, of course, can do this. A friend of mine, Jim Whitten, sent me a little note regarding Anne Frank. Here's what he said. He said, to put things into perspective for those of us who are feeling a bit stir crazy already, Anne Frank and seven other people hid in a 450 square foot attic for 761 days quietly trying to remain undiscovered by the Nazis in order to stay alive. So we can all do our part to keep everyone safe and spend a few weeks at home. All right. That's true. No question. I also saw a documentary recently about the 20,000 people that lived in an underground quarry for six weeks while the allies bombed the Nazis out of their town. That's in uh, Cannes, France, just just in the area of Normandy where the D-Day invasion took place. 20,000 people underground, basically, for six weeks in order to not be bombed into oblivion. In fact, the allies dropped leaflets into the town before the bombing to say, hey, look, get out. This is your last chance. Take cover because we're going to we're going to level this place to get rid of the Nazis. And they did. So we can do this. However, the purpose of this show is to give you an update from someone qualified to talk about this medically. So my guest from last week, Dr. Dan Eichenberger, is back and he's got a lot more information for us. So don't go anywhere. In fact, he's currently treating a coronavirus patient right now. So we're going to talk to Dan here in just a minute. He's going to help us evaluate and hopefully correct appears or what what appears to be a bunch of hysterical claims. And some of these claims are coming from government officials and some one side reporting from some of the media outlets who it sure seems to me are hyping this with their 24 seven coverage. And yes, I'm looking at you, Fox news. Yes. I'm looking at you, CNN and MSNBC I mean, is this responsible reporting or is this a ratings grab? We'll talk about it. And uh, so we are going to obey the government authorities, but I don't want you to be dismayed or distressed by some exaggerated or unsubstantiated claims because I think they're out there. I mean, Proverbs says this. Proverbs twelve twenty five says anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. I think we have a good word today. So let's bring down some of the anxiety by bringing in a shot of sanity with Dr. Dan Eichenberger. He's back on the show. And as I introduced him last week, you can listen to last week's show. But just to sum it all up, Dan has been a medical doctor for 30 years. He's been the CEO of a more than a 200 bed hospital in Indiana. And he now consults with hospitals around the country. In fact, he is currently treating a coronavirus patient. So we're going to get an update from Dan. So Dan, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm good, Frank, and good morning. 
Yeah, good morning to you. Thanks for agreeing to come back on. You know, I got a lot of great comments from your uh, your appearance here last week because people are so stressed about this and because it's what they're seeing on the media all the time. And uh, I think a lot of the claims, as you've pointed out, have been exaggerated. So let's just start right at the top. The death rate, the death rate from the coronavirus. How has it changed in the past week? Okay, well, let's uh, let's start with your first comment. So he who controls the media controls the culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is an important aspect to why we are doing what we are currently doing. But to get back to uh, the part about the death rate last week when we talked, the the biggest news was related to the coronavirus death rate. So uh, since that time and I went back, I've used the same data source, which is I use the European Center for Disease Control just because uh, it's it's the equivalent of the CDC here in the United States. But they report their data at 8 a.m. every morning uh, for us. So currently, uh, last week on March 13th, Friday the 13th, our death rate based on our numbers in the United States was 2.41%. Since that time, uh, we talked about the, the denominator effect. And when the denominator goes up, the death rate's going to go down. So we started at 2.41. We were then 2.16, 1.93, 1.83, 1.82. And today, data, we are down to 1.05% on the death rate. Now, we haven't heard that from the media at all because it presents a positive finding. Uh, yes, you're going to hear today that between yesterday and today, the reported cases went from 9,400 yesterday to 14,000 today. But what they won't tell you is it went, the death rate then goes from 1.59% yesterday to 1.05% today because mm. that denominator grew so much. Now, that denominator means that the virus is spreading. No one denies that fact. Uh, But again, we are seeing more mild and limited uh, symptomatic cases than what uh, we're seeing severe cases. So the death rate is going to go down. We still have the best healthcare system in the world, and we're going to continue to see a decline to some stable level. Where that level is going to be, it's going to probably be higher than the influenza virus because of a number of factors, but it's not the dire. uh, information that you're hearing from the mainstream media. And the, these numbers, we're basing them on Friday, March 20th, because we're recording it on Friday. Today is Friday, March 20th. I know you're probably listening to this on Saturday, but those are the numbers right now. Now, Dr. Dan, last week, I pointed out that the CDC estimates that 20 to 50,000 people in the U.S. have died or will die from the flu this year. Now, as of Friday morning today, March 20th, the second day of spring, 217 people in the U.S. have died from the coronavirus. 217. Do you think the coronavirus will kill more than the flu this year? Uh, It it is unlikely uh, with the amount of resources uh, and um, information support uh, government intervention that we put into this, it is very unlikely that we're going to see that degree of uh, deaths here in the United States. Yet I see headlines on the media talking about maybe millions dead. Where where is this coming from? Well, again, controlling the media controls the culture. So if there is a narrative out there they want to present, they're going to present the data that uh, continues to support that narrative. And I think that's what we're seeing. Hmm. Now, how contagious is the coronavirus compared to other viruses? 
Well, from a clinical standpoint, we certainly uh, do believe, and I can tell you from firsthand, I've spent uh, more than 50 hours in the hospital uh, between Monday and Thursday of this week taking care of patients. And this virus does seem to be more contagious for a number of reasons. We uh, do not have uh, immunity at this point because it is a new novel virus. So that's going to make the infectivity uh, higher. And it does seem to uh, be more contagious person to person for some reason. And we still don't understand all the uh, details behind that. But it does seem to be more contagious what, than what influenza typically is. But again, we've had uh, influenza vaccines and we've developed immunity over a number of years that has helped curb the contagiousness of influenza. But speaking of contagiousness, I mean, typically we see on average about an 8% infection rate with influenza. Uh, coronavirus is definitely going to be higher than 8%, no doubt. Uh, but, you know, Gavin Newsom's uh, comment about, I don't know, 25 million out of his 40 million people are going to be infected. I mean, that would be a 62% infection rate. Um, mm. That seems a little unlikely unless uh, you just absolutely do nothing. And as we've seen, we are certainly not doing nothing. We're talking to Dr. Dan Eichenberger, an MD for over 30 years, uh, recently retired as president of a hospital in Indiana, but is still consulting with hospitals around the country. He's my guest today. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. And uh, we're also trying to contribute to this issue. We're starting Operation Inoculation where we're going to be doing some online courses while all of us are at home. I'll explain that after the break. So don't go away. We're back in just two minutes with a shot of sanity from Dr. Dan Eichenberger. Don't go anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, can you help me with something? Can you help me get this podcast before more people? Not only tell your friends about it, but go up to iTunes and put a five-star review on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast. If you do that, it will help us move the podcast up the charts so more people will hear it. Thank you so much for partnering with me on this. Welcome back to Operation Inoculation with Frank Turek and Dr. Dan Eichenberg. Now, our Operation Inoculation is something we're doing here at crossexamine.org along with online Christian courses. We're in April going to have two intensive four-week courses to help you redeem the time, to actually use this time wisely. If you're at home, I'm at home, but we don't have to be alone. We can meet online together and we're slashing the price of these courses in half, so just about everybody can afford them. We're doing Fearless Faith with myself, Dr. De uh, Detective Jay Warner Wallace, and Dr. Mike Adams. Our Fearless Faith course is great because it, it gets people ready to go to college in particular. So this is great for high school students, college students, parents. And uh, so the three of us teach that. And we're going to be live online via Zoom video. In addition to you watching video for the course, we're going to come on the Internet via Zoom video live and answer your questions on eight different occasions over the month of April. And then the other course we're running is why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That's the course I'll be teaching alone. And you know, if you listen to this program for any length of time, that's based on our book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, where we reason from the ground up, does truth exist all the way to the Bible's the word of God? So this is great for kids who are out of school. It's great for parents. And actually, the Zoom meetings we're going to do for all these courses are going to be during the day. 
So normally we do them at night, but this is for people who are at home and they can meet us during the day. So check those out. Go to crossexamine.org and click on online courses. You'll see them there. So we're inoculating people with the truth. So when you get back out into the real world, you'll be able to defend your faith and articulate the Christian faith in a winsome and effective way. So those two courses, Fearless Faith and Why I Still Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, begin April 6th, and they go for four weeks, and we're going to meet a lot online. So if you want to join that group on the premium version, you can. Premium version means that we're going to be meeting with you online in those live Q&A sessions. The basic course you can take anytime you want. We won't meet online, uh, but you can self-pace that. Anyway, they're both available. Check it out at crossexamine.org. Click on online courses. You'll see them there. All right, let me get back to my guest, Dr. Dan Eichenberger, who is treating a coronavirus patient right now. But before we get to that, Dan, we were talking just before the break about how this is more contagious than the flu because we haven't built up immunities yet. How do we build up an immunity to a virus? What has to happen? Typically, we build immunity through both passive and active type of uh, immune immunizations. Uh, you know, actively, if you are exposed to something and you get over the illness on your own, you're developing your own intrinsic antibodies to that particular organism. Uh, then we use other types of, you know, immunizations where we actually give either uh, live virus, uh, which we used to do a lot, or um, altered types of virus particles that helps the immune system develop antibodies to fight that particular organism. And then there's uh, types of immunity we use in certain types of patients uh, where we actually infuse them with IVIG, which is immune globulin, which is derived from other people who have developed immunity against certain organisms or pathogens. So there's a lot of ways we can develop immunity. With the influenza, we see a number of ways. We see people who have developed their own immunity because they've been exposed. We've seen the flu shot, uh, which helps with uh, the type of immunity with developing antibodies. Uh, and then, you know, for really sick patients, uh, sometimes we will give them IVIG, which is an immune globulin derived from other folks to help uh, overcome an acute severe illness. So there's lots of ways we can develop immuni immunity. But with coronavirus, it hasn't been around. It's a new virus. So we are still developing our own intrinsic immunities. I saw a medical official speaking with the president at a news conference on Thursday, and he seemed to indicate that within a year we'll have a vaccine for that. Have you heard anything different? Yes. I mean, again, part of the uh, nice aspect of living in the United States in a uh, free market society is that we are willing and able to invest money into these companies that are willing to do the research needed. So uh, Bill Gates just announced uh, he's uh, donating a ton of money from his foundation uh, to fight this. You don't see this level of investment in other countries. We are going to be the leaders of this, and we are going to come up with a a vaccine, uh, I would say within a year. Uh, I think that's a good estimate. Now we're talking to Dr. Dan Eichenberger, who is a medical expert, an MD. He's been a doctor for 30 years. He's been the CEO of a hospital. He's consulting with other hospitals right now. And Dr. Dan, you are actually treating a coronavirus patient right now. Before we get to how you're doing that and, and how the treatment is going, aren't you worried you're going to get the virus? I mean, you're volunteering to do this. Uh, right. I've come out of retirement and I am, uh, this is one of my, uh, I love taking care of patients. So I did volunteer to work extra um, 
to help uh, the shortage of physicians because we've had we've lost physicians because they were exposed and the 14 day quarantine has taken some of them out. So, uh, yes, I volunteered to do this. Uh, will I get the coronavirus? Uh, I might. Uh, am I concerned about it? No. Uh, am I doing the normal precautions that you should be doing once you get out of the hospital and come back home? Yes. Um, you know, my wife and I are distancing and we have, uh, uh, my 80 year old father-in-law living at home with us. So we are doing the precautions to protect him. Uh, but no, I'm not overly concerned that I'm going to get the virus. Um, and again, come, going back. So I've, like I said, I spent 50 plus hours in the hospital this week, taking care of patients. Um, the, the difficulty with this illness is that uh, we are in a viral season. So I've had four different patients this week all present to the hospital with fever, cough, short of breath, and wheezing. All four of them presented the exact same way. And one had parainfluenza type 4, one had metanumavirus, one had uh, rhinovirus, and one had the coronavirus. But they all looked the same when they came through the door. Mm. And, mm. and that's the problem. Uh, that's what overwhelms the healthcare system. It's not the severity of the coronavirus illness itself. It's the precautions you have to take now uh, because of the virus and the contagiousness of it. We want to do everything we can in the hospital to prevent spread to other people. So anyone who comes in the emergency room with a fever, cough, wheezing, and short of breath is going to be considered a coronavirus patient. And that means you have to go through the severe uh, or the, the significant issues of dressing up, putting on the mask, putting on the goggles, putting on the gloves, uh, you know, the respirator type of equipment we're using. All of those things have to be done now with every patient that comes through with those symptoms. And that's what overwhelms the system, the time it takes, the equipment it takes. And uh, we are running short in a lot of hospitals with gowns and masks and goggles and those types of things. So it's not the fact that the illness itself is so severe. That's not the case. It's the fact that we have to do these measures to help prevent spread. And that's what's overwhelming uh, certain hospitals. So it's not the disease severity. It's the mm. methods we have to use to uh, help control it. So friends, when you hear all this hype in the media Take into account what Dr. Dan Eichenberger just said, that the disease isn't really the biggest problem. The biggest problem appears to be what we need to do to treat everyone as if they have the disease, and that's causing the strain on the system. Nonetheless, we have a do it. We do have a strain on the system, and we'll get to that in a minute. But let me ask you this. You are treating a coronavirus patient right now. Tell us about what you're doing and what you're seeing as you treat this patient. Well, currently I'm off today, so I'm not treating her, but yes, for the uh, mm -hmm. last few days, uh, she was on my service um, and, uh, you know, she she was um, not bad initially, got worse uh, and now is better again. And uh, yes, we did use, um, you know, the the medicines you're hearing about on the news, uh, the black one ill and, uh, you know, typical other supportive measures, uh, you know, steroids, IV fluids, breathing treatments, all the things we would normally do with any other patient. Uh, we did add the medicines you're hearing about on the news, and she is better. So uh, now I have to say my uh, parainfluenza patient uh, did not make it. Uh, uh, that patient died uh, this week. So uh, this isn't unique. We are going to see viral patients of all sorts die, and we're going to see 
uh, all kinds of viral patients survive and do very well. So uh, this isn't unusual. This isn't the overburden of the system like uh, you're hearing. It's the supply issue. I mean, if you have a patient in the hospital, and most of your listeners will have had some experience with that, if you think about every time a nurse's assistant or a nurse or a doctor walks into room to answer the call light or to help them to the bathroom or to change an IV medicine or to give them their normal pills, they have to dress up every single time they go in that room with the masks, the gowns, the gloves, the uh, face shields. Uh, and that takes time, effort, and energy. And that's the the burden to the system. Well, the malaria drug that apparently is showing some promise. I took that drug 30-something years ago when I was in the Navy. We're in a tropical environment. They gave us that drug to prevent malaria. And I don't remember one side effect from it, but you are actually using that drug on your patient, correct? Correct. And it seems to be improving. In fact, that one French study, you can speak to it better than I can, Dr. Dan, that one French study showed 100%, albeit it was a small sample, but 100% recovery using this drug. Is that true? Uh, Wow. um, That's true to some degree. Now, they they labeled... uh, cure rate basically as when they repeated the coronavirus uh, test, it was negative uh-huh. in that uh, subset of patients. Um, so, but it does show promise. I mean, there is absolutely uh, good news with this, that we do have something that seems to help uh, these patients that are really severe overcome the illness. So that is very good news. And again, that is going to help us with our uh, quote, death rate that you heard so much about last week that you're not hearing so much this week about <laughs> in the United States anyway. Because the death rate keeps going down, friends. Listen to the top of the program to figure out why. All right. We have a minute before the break, Dr. Dan, and hopefully you can stay for another segment. Uh, But let me ask you this. Um, We hear a lot about flattening the curve. Explain what that is. So when we talk about flattening the curve, normally, uh, if you did nothing, you would see a huge spike in the number of cases because of the interactions we have with each other on a daily basis. So flattening the curve basically means that you're not going to have that huge peak of individuals and you're going to slow the uh, contagiousness or the, the, um, the spread from person to person because we're not in contact with each other. So you're going you're gonna to bring that curve down. Now, that's going to be very helpful to uh, hospitals that are struggling in areas that have huge uh, number of cases because just like I was talking about with the supplies, if you flatten the curve – you're going to see fewer amount of patients coming to the emergency room and being admitted to the hospital, and your supplies are going to last longer. So flattening the curve is a good thing. All right. We're talking to Dr. Dan Eichenberger about the coronavirus. He's treating a patient right now. He has tremendous insights into this issue, and they're calm, they're sane, and they're without hysteria you're hearing about in the media. In fact, he's going to correct in the next segment, some more hysteria we're hearing about in the media that just isn't true. So don't go away. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk and Dr. Dan Eichenberger. Back in two. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, 
Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. A shot of sanity in a sensationalized media. That's why you're here, I hope. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. We're taking a little break from our normal apologetics programming to deal with what everyone's trying to deal with, this coronavirus and the fact that we're all locked down, it appears. And I heard from a source who's relatively close to the president and we're recording this on Friday. Um, so maybe by Saturday, when you hear this, this will have happened that uh, they may shut down interstate travel. That's what I've heard. Now, this is I haven't been able to verify this, but it's a it's a it's a rumor from a fairly reputable source. Uh, and uh, I'll ask Dr. Dan his opinion on that a little bit later, that if they do do that, is that total overkill now? But let's go back to uh, what we talked about a little bit earlier, Dr. Dan. We uh, we did mention Dr. Uh, Dr. Um, Governor Gavin Newsom of uh, of California, who seems to completely overstate the possibility of the spread of the coronavirus by suggesting that 62 percent of the 40 million residents, about 25 million people in his state will get it. Um, and I saw an article written by a Stanford epidemiologist on Stat News that says that we're making worst case predictions and taking drastic action on very limited information and what are on and what are on these these uh, these predictions we're making them on what are probably very wrong assumptions is is that correct is this stanford epidemiologist correct in your view yes he's correct in my view uh we we are basing a lot of our decisions on data from, you know, almost third world type of countries and the and the statistics they're seeing. Uh, we do not anticipate those types of numbers here. And again, our death rate, uh, if you look compared to the worldwide death rate, it's around 3.9 to 4 percent. Our death rate as of this morning, based on the numbers we have, is 1.05 percent. We have a healthcare system that is far superior to most of these other countries that are reporting data, and we are not going to see the same types of death rates that they're seeing. So these statistics that they're quoting, they're only giving a skewed view based on a narrative that they want to create. And I don't know the underlying reason for that, uh, but we do know that, you know, again, the media controls the culture. So if you have a narrative you want to tout, you can do it with the data, but uh, it's not a fair and accurate assessment of what's going on. And all these news outlets are competing with one another for advertising revenue. They need to hype it in order to keep their ratings up. So just watch what you watch on the TV and take it with a grain of salt uh, and investigated for yourself. Now, the article I'm speaking about is at statnews.com. I tweeted about it on Friday. The title of it is a fiasco in the making as the coronavirus pandemic takes hold. We are making decisions without reliable data. And he goes into a lot of detail on this. I first saw this on uh, Ben Shapiro's website and I linked uh, or he linked to the original article. So you may want to read that because the guy makes a lot of sense. And we've said this on this program before. In fact, it's in our book, Stealing from God, that science doesn't say anything scientists do. 
Science does not say a word. Scientists do. And all data needs to be gathered. All data needs to be interpreted. And that's why science doesn't say anything. It's the scientists that have to interpret the data. And sometimes they're using assumptions in their data that are not backed up by the evidence. And so you have to dive into the assumptions and see what the real evidence is. Now, let me go back to what I said at the top of the program. We're Christians. We obey what the government says unless they tell us to sin or unless they prevent us from doing something God commanded us to do. In this case, they're not doing that. So we will do what they want us to. We will do what they what the government wants us to do. Um, And and but but that doesn't mean we're going to buy into the hysteria that the media predominantly is putting out. In fact, Dr. Dan, I saw uh, a uh, one of these uh, anchors over at Fox News Channel the other day. He was talking about the spike in the cases how it's just spiked up all of a sudden, almost overnight, which makes it seem like this is out of control. What is this newsman not telling us about the actual cause of the spike? Yeah, the actual cause of the spike is that we are finally testing more and we are Mm -hmm. testing patients that are minimally symptomatic or asymptomatic. And we are going to see these numbers go up. The, the problem he left off was he only gave you the increase. What he didn't tell you to allay the hysteria was when you increase that denominator, like we talked last week, the death rate is going down. And the trend is dramatic from a week ago, what the death rate trend is and how much it has declined over the week, because we are now seeing a, a more realistic view of what coronavirus really is and what it really does to individuals. South Korea is a good example. They've got the highest testing rate uh, in the world. Uh, They've got 3,692 tests per million people. Uh, You compare that to the other countries, such as Italy, they only had about 826 people per million. So we're talking almost a five to six times increase in testing. And South Korea's death rate is very similar to ours. Whereas Italy's death rate is higher because they haven't tested as many, you know, minimally infected patients. So the data is skewed because of uh, the numbers tested. So um, we could talk about Italy as well and why why their numbers do look worse than other countries. Well, let me let me take a guess and then you can give us the real medical reason why I've been to Italy several times. You cannot find a place in Italy to wash your hands. If you want, there, there are very few public restrooms in India. I mean, India, in, well, in India too, but in Italy, there are very few public restrooms. In order to use the restroom, you got to go buy a plate of lasagna to use the one a bathroom that a restaurant has because you will not find, at least in Rome anywhere where I've, where, where I've been, you will not find a public bathroom to wash your hands. That's number one. Number two, it's a it's an elderly population. I think it's the second oldest population probably in Europe. Uh, Number three, a predominant number of people. It might not be a majority, but it's probably near that smoke over in Italy. I mean, it's terrible. You can't go anywhere without people smoking, blowing smoke in your face. Now, look, I have have Italian blood. I'm mostly Italian. I'm half Italian. My mother's Italian. I love Italy. But there's too many people that smoke over there and you can't wash your hands. And there's got to be several other reasons, Dr. Dan. Why is Italy in bad shape right now with regard to the coronavirus? You hit two of the most common reasons. So Italy does have, according to the 2015 data, uh, Italy was the second oldest uh, 
uh, population in the, in uh, that part of the world, with 28.6% over the age of 60. Japan was the only one above them. Whereas you compare that to South Korea, they're only 18.5% over the age of 60. We do know risk factors uh, for coronavirus death do include being a male. Unfortunately, we can't change that. At least we don't think we can. <laughs> I identify uh, as a female today, Dr. Dan. I'm <laughs> safe. Don't worry. Uh, uh, smoking is a huge risk factor. And uh, underlying illnesses we know are, are a problem. So when you have the older population, the huge smoking, the poor sanitation, and then when you look at the data in Italy about uh, their healthcare expenditures in the ICU realm, you also see a disparity in uh, the number one, the number of ICU beds, the money they put into ICU care. And in fact, about 10 years ago, there was a study that was touting Italy's uh, control of their healthcare dollars. Well, yes, they didn't invest in their healthcare dollars. And in a socialized medicine system, when you don't invest over time, when you have an incident like this, you're going to see the consequences of not investing. So they have about 12.5 ICU beds. Uh, uh, based on the population compared to the United States, which has 25 uh, per 100,000 individuals. So we see uh, a tremendous amount of benefit from our healthcare expenditures in the United States. And when we could talk about hospital beds, what the news media talks about the hospital bed situation and healthcare expenditures, all these are a skewed view of the actual data. And they only give you the information they want you to have to present a narrative they want you to uh, believe. Well, let's talk about that, because we do hear that we have fewer hospital beds than in Europe, but that gives the wrong impression. How so? Yes. So in the United States, uh, healthcare beds are defined uh, worldwide, uh, what we call acute healthcare beds. So when you talk about acute beds, we truly do have the way it's defined. We have fewer acute hospital beds than some other countries. But what they don't tell you is the reason we have fewer acute hospital beds is because in the United States, we have an abundant amount of outpatient types of centers, surgical centers and other ambulatory centers that have hospital beds that patients go to for procedures that they get on the outpatient side here, whereas in the European countries, they don't have those types of centers. They do all their surgeries typically in hospital settings. And so when you look at total beds, to take care of patients, we far exceed other countries. But if you're just labeling them acute hospital beds, the news media will want you to believe that we don't have as many beds. And that's true if you're labeling it acute hospital beds, but not total beds. Well, I think many in the news media would love to have socialized medicine. Of course, what they don't realize is that our healthcare system is the golden goose that feeds all the other healthcare systems. If we didn't have more of a free market system in this country, we wouldn't have the kind of medical innovations that the rest of the world depends on. Sorry, I'm preaching to the choir, Dr. Dan, but I mean, yes, you are. <laughs> you're with me on that. Anyway, um, Let's talk about Korea. I don't know if we can trust much from China, but China appears to be going back to work. The, the, the problem appears to have passed them, but let's let's not trust what they tell us. But South Korea has handled this problem. They seem to be coming out of it. How? Why? Well, because they've done some of the things that we've done, that we are doing here. Uh, I'm not sure they've done it to the same extent we've done here, or they may have done done it even more intensely. I, I'm not sure exactly how South Korea has has done it. But certainly they have tested more than any other country. And when you test and when you then come back with the positives of minimally symptomatic people, you can get those people 
who are known to be infected, you know, isolated more. So they have, you know, decreased their curve significantly uh, and it has paid off, but it paid off because they did the proactive step of testing more people than what number one, we've done here, unfortunately, and and other countries have done early on. So they took a more proactive approach to testing, which then allowed them to isolate and, uh, you know, quarantine patients in a more effective manner. Now, is there any... Not broadly like we're doing. Not broadly. Okay. Is is there any reason to think that this coronavirus will persist through the warmer weather? At this point, when you look at China's data, and although China data could be skewed. They had the typical, you know, curve that we normally see with viral illnesses. It did peak and it has come down. And, you know, I think yesterday they reported there was no new cases. So their curve has definitely uh, did the normal standard type of uh, uh, curve that we would see. Uh, South Korea is going to be similar. So based on what we've seen, based on historical data with other viruses and the coronavirus and the SARS and the MERS, we have seen these uh, peaks and troughs, and then it subsides, and that's what we're going to see here. Uh, there's no reason to think this is any different than it has been in the last 100 years. That's Dr. Daniel Eichenberger. We've got one more segment with him. I'm Frank Turek. Don't go anywhere. Back in two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. If you like what we do, would you please consider going to crossexamined.org and giving us a tax-deductible donation. 100% of your donations will go to ministry, 0% to buildings. Thanks so much. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Thank you for putting positive reviews up on our iTunes page for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Continue to do that, do that if you would and uh, send some uh, other people our way. We'd like this podcast to go out to more people, as you know, and the reviews help that. My guest today is uh, the same guest we had last week. He did such a wonderful job quelling uh, the hysteria that we thought we'd have him back on. I thought we'd have him back on. I've known Dan for several years, his wife, Stephanie, wonderful people there living just outside of Louisville, uh, Kentucky. They actually live in Indiana. And uh, Dr. Dan Eichenberger has been a doctor for 30 years, and he's been a CEO of a hospital. He consults with hospitals. He's treating coronavirus patients right now. And he's very level-headed, as you could see. He's got his facts in order, and he's shooting sanity into an insane world right now. Uh, So, uh, Dr. Dan, let me go and ask a question uh, about what we talked about last week, because as Christians, we agree we're going to obey the governing authorities unless they, they command us to sin or they command us not to do with something or not to do something God tells us to do. That's not the case here. If they're going to tell us to stay home and avoid other people, okay, we'll do it. But last week you thought that the suggestion to avoid all contact with other, with other people was too drastic. What do you think now? Well, I still think it's too drastic. I think mm-hmm. there is some limitations to contact that we should rationally do, but I think we have gone overboard from the contact. We cannot stop the coronavirus, number one. It is going to spread. We are going to see infections and uh, we are going to see deaths just like we do with influenza, just like we do with rhinovirus, respiratory syncytial virus, parainfluenza virus, metanumavirus, all the other viruses we see 
this time of year, we are still going to see complications, morbidity, and mortality associated with these viruses, including coronavirus. I do think what we're doing, the social distancing, uh, the reinforcing good hand washing, cover your cough, all of those things are very important. But to shut down an entire economy uh, and the negative consequences that's going to have long term, I think is uh, overblown uh, to some degree uh, in what we're doing. In fact, last week, you thought that more people will die from the economic impact of this than the medical impact of this. Now, what did you mean by that? How will they die from the economic impact? So when I mean what I mean by the economic impact is that we see uh, again, I was in private practice for 27 years and we know that patients, when they have to choose between buying a medicine or buying food or paying the rent or their house payment, uh, medicine is going to be. Uh, their last choice. Uh, and we're going to see uh, patients who are going to be making that choice because they've lost their job, they've lost their income, uh, their rent payment is still there, their food uh, and taking care of their family and kids, uh, those responsibilities are still there. So they're going to make choices about health care, uh, and health care is going to be secondary to these other major issues. So, but we're not going to be able to, you know, measure that in any effective way. But just from 27 years of experience, we know that patients make these choices every day. So the economic impact is going to have a significant impact impact on patients' lives. And I think from a political perspective, it's probably, there's probably not much that President Trump could do differently um, other than continue to say, hey, we're going to beat this. I mean, if he does not take these measures, uh, then people are going to assume that, well, he just doesn't care about people and look at all these deaths that we've had from it. It's easy to count the coronavirus deaths. It's hard to account for the deaths of people who uh, died because, as you say, they didn't take their medicine because they didn't have money to pay for their rent. And so they paid their rent instead of paying for their medicine. It's, it would be hard to connect that with a coronavirus death, even though it was in a roundabout way. And so politically, it seems like he has to sort of do what he's doing to a certain extent. Do you agree or not, or not Dr. Dan? I agree. President Trump is in a no-win situation. If he takes a minimalist approach, he's going to be wrong. If he takes this approach, you know, we're going to find people who uh, think he's overblown it. Uh, you know, his decision to shut down the travel from China early on was a was a great decision. He mm -hmm. didn't get credit for it. Uh, in fact, got um, punished for it initially. But again, he made some very important decisions that has helped. And we have definitely all these measures have flattened the curve here in the United States. I mean, there's no doubt. And and by doing that, we are helping these hospitals that are struggling with huge number of cases uh, because of the issues we talked about earlier in the show. I, I think there's no way we're going to look back and uh, determine who was right. Uh, everybody's going to, you know, make claims that uh, because we did this, uh, we didn't see the number of deaths uh, we're going to see. Uh, it, it's just a no-win situation uh, for President Trump. You know, I'm reading from this article I mentioned earlier. This is a fiasco in the making as the coronavirus pandemic takes hold, we are making decisions without reliable data. I won't read the whole thing, but he 
he he cites an autopsy study where he says that a positive test for coronavirus does not necessarily mean that this virus is always primarily responsible for a patient's demise because he said in this study these patients had other diseases that probably killed them other than coronavirus but when they detect that it this patient also had coronavirus. Everyone says, oh, he must have died from that. I mean, I saw a headline the other day, Dr. Dan, talking to Dr. Dan Eichenberger here, MD, uh, for over 30 years. Um, it, 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 was a, it was a headline in the New York Post that said, um, soccer star dies of coronavirus. And then you read under the headline, the guy had leukemia. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, what killed him? The media narrative is to blame everything on coronavirus when, in fact, that isn't the, necessarily the case. So um, I think what you're saying really is a shot of sanity because we're hearing so much and everything is skewed to point out that the world is ending because of coronavirus. And that's just not the case. Let me go back to the top of the show, what Dr. Dan said at the top of the show. The death rate keeps falling on this as we continue to test people. And as of Friday, March 20th, the death rate is a hair over 1%. Now, obviously, it'd be more for the older population. We understand that. But overall, in the United States, it's, what'd you say, Dan, 1.05%? Was that right? 1.05%, correct. That's where we are now. Now, Dr. Dan, what is your advice to the Christians and the non-Christians listening to this program right now? I mean, give some advice for this life and the next life, if you would. You're a Christian. Tell us what we ought to be doing. We should be following the rules that are placed in front of us by our authoritative bodies, which we are doing, and we should have a rational approach to our fear. We have, we have relied too much on the media to present the narrative without understanding some of the real information below what we're being told. So we are allowing our fear to influence our behaviors. And there is a rational amount of fear we should have for this virus, just like we should have a rational amount of fear for driving our cars and doing other things that we do every day. But, you know, taking it to the nth degree and an extreme uh, is not helpful for anyone. So, you know, we should be looking after our neighbors, certainly older folks. If you have older neighbors as Christians, we should be calling them and saying, you know, I'm going to be out. Uh, what can I do for you? What can I get for mm -hmm. you? Because we, the elderly is still the population that is most at risk. Everyone's right. at risk, but the older population is the most at risk. And so as Christians, reaching out to those, you know, widows, orphans, and, and elderly patients, that's where we can do our part. And friends, you probably know people who uh, are alone. They're living alone. Maybe they're elderly. We have a lady in our neighborhood, 97 years old. I just checked in on her yesterday. Thankfully, she has other family around, but um, we should be checking in on people and seeing what we can do for them. As Dr. Dan Eichenberger just said, this is one thing we can do as Christians. And we can also connect with people uh, even if we can't connect with them personally, connect with them online, connect with them via, via phone, do that. Reach out to people. And right now is a time when people are starting to get serious about their mortality. And that means they start thinking about eternity. And now is an opportunity to talk to them about the gospel, talk to them about the ultimate virus. We all have sin and the ultimate cure. The only cure is Jesus. So we ought to be doing that. Uh, if not now, when are we going to do it? People are open to it now. So... 
Let me thank Dr. Dan Eichenberger. Dan, I want to thank you so much for doing this program. Maybe we'll get an update from you next week. We'll see how things go if you're open to it. We'll 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 see how the week goes. But thank you for bringing some sanity back into this uh, to this this fear mongering we hear all around us. Thanks, Frank. I always appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. That's Dr. Daniel Eichenberger. And uh, he has been a breath of fresh air for me anyway, and uh, hopefully for you as well, because there is so much misinformation and statistics that are only stated halfway that get you to think the sky is falling when it really isn't. Now, let me reemphasize, do what the government tells you to do, okay? But in your hearts, realize that this is not as bad as it's being said on MSNBC and CNN and Fox News and all the other hysterical places you go for your news. Okay, do a little bit more research and uh, you'll figure out that the measures we're taking, while they may be overblown, they may go too far, will help bring this down. And the death rate is low compared to what you're hearing about on the media. So take heart. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And if we if you don't make it through this world and none of us will, ultimately, there's another world. So trust in him for that. You can also listen to a sermon by David Platt up there at uh, McLean Bible Church. He did it last week. You can find it at the Gospel Coalition. He makes some great points. Go to the gospelcoalition.org and you can see uh, his sermon. He's doing it in front of an empty audience. But David is a wonderful preacher, strong, uh, obviously, uh, leader, Christian leader up there at McLean Bible Church. So check his sermon out on this. And don't forget, friends, I'm going to be online with you. We might not be able to meet together, but that doesn't mean we have to be alone because we're launching Operation Inoculation, where we are going to be teaching online courses through the month of April. We're teaching Fearless Faith with Jay Warner Wallace, Mike Adams, and myself, and why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And we're going to be online a lot live via Zoom video if you take the premium version. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see them there. You'll also see Sean McDowell's course, Addressing Homosexuality with Clarity and Compassion, there. Begins April 1. Check it all out there, and I'll see you here next week. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.